Thank you for listening to the Renovation Church podcast. We're a family that believes you matter, and together we can do something that matters. We hope that this podcast aids you in your spiritual journey toward Jesus. If we can serve you on that journey, please let us know by visiting our website, renovationchurch.com. We always love to hear how the ministry of renovation is impacting your life. The best way to let us know is by leaving a review or tagging us on social media. Wherever you are in the world, know that Jesus loves you and we love you. Enjoy the podcast. Well, it's good to see you again. I feel like I've been gone so long and what an opportunity to stand before you and bring the word today. Uh, no, we are continuing our series, The Magnificent Seven. Forgive the hoarseness of my voice. I, I think this is the future of my voice. Uh, it's the old man voice I've been praying for for 20 years. And all it took was coaching kindergarten and first grade football for an entire season. And uh, now my voice is gone. Uh, we had a game yesterday afternoon, and, and that's why I'm wearing a suit today. After the game, uh, my son said, Daddy, I want to match at church tomorrow. And I'm going to wear a gray suit, so you got to wear a gray suit. So he is indeed wearing a gray suit. And then he went into the closet and he picked out my outfit for me. The boy did pretty well. He, uh, he's gotten color matching already. And he said, the pink go with the pink. I said, you're right, son. That's how we do that thing. So uh, here we are today. Uh, but we're going to continue our series, The Magnificent Seven, today. And, and, and if you watched that bumper, and I hope you did, that last question is the one that I always want in your mind as we start and end. So why not you? Right? If God chooses questionable people to do remarkable things, why not you? Uh, and that is the question that is hanging over this entire series. I hope you've been encouraged by it. Uh, I hope you would see uh, the great things that God has to do in and through your life if you would entrust him even with your lowest moments that you are not the sum of the last worst thing you did and that that message matters for all time. Of course, if you have any questions along the way, uh, please text sermon question to 94000. We love to answer those. Uh, and I've actually been surprised that there haven't been more questions uh, with some of the content that we have covered. Uh, maybe y'all just don't want to overwhelm me because these stories have been so crazy. They're like, that man don't need nothing else in his life right now. But if you do have questions, please send them along. Okay, also, as always, we've prepared sermon notes for you. This is for you. Let me say it again. This is for you, not from you, but for you. And so if you want to go ahead and pull out your phone and scan that QR code, this is so that we can bless you with an opportunity to have a tool to continue to use uh, throughout the week. Uh, as I've said so many times, if you showed up to my house only on Sunday and I fed you a great meal, and it will be good, okay? Uh, but that's not going to sustain you for the whole week. You're going to be hungry by the end of the week, and if you only eat once a week, eventually you will starve. So make sure uh, that you get this because it sends you to the Bible app event, which takes you to the Bible app, which takes you to the Bible, which continues to allow you to eat. Now, uh, today we're going to be talking about labels, okay? Uh, so go ahead and buckle up. Uh, in fact, as I was preparing this message, I thought about uh, one of my trips over to Australia uh, where I went to preach a conference, and they were kind of giving me uh, the, the lay of the land and getting me acquainted with Australian culture. And one of the things they told me to be aware of is tall poppy syndrome. And tall poppy syndrome is an Australian thing where they go out of their way to cut down the person that's standing the tallest, either physically uh, or intellectually or economically. It's a part of their culture. They want them to feel less so that, that everybody can feel equal. And, and it made me think about American culture and, and how good we are at making heroes just so we can break them, right? We build people up so that we can just tear them down. Am, am, I, am I telling the truth right now? Right? Okay. Now, listen, I dealt with a quiet morning already. Y'all going to have to talk to me a little bit. Okay, I don't know where them other people came from, so please shout at the computer screen if you got to, okay? Um, 
but, but I thought about our culture and how we do that. And, and I thought equally how easily we label people, right? One incident, one moment, one bad choice, one indiscretion, one idea that we think was out of bounds, and then they are labeled, and they are labeled for life. We don't let people get out of the labels that they get locked into. It's very relevant for our time today as we discuss the story of Rahab, who, who had been labeled because of the things done to her, because of the things she did because of what was done to her, who had been labeled Rahab the prostitute. But what we're going to learn through her story is that we don't have to be locked into any label. Can I get a good amen? That, that at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you are not limited to the label that somebody has placed on you or even the label that you placed on yourself. Listen, you are more than the labels that you have been living under. I want to preach right now, but we got to get to the text. You are more than the labels you have been living under. And I hope today that this word will be freeing for somebody and that your life will never be the same because of it. If you want to follow along in the word, look with me to Joshua 2. Uh, verses 10 through 11, for we have heard, this is Rahab talking to the spies uh, that came into Jericho, we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt, and we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things, for the Lord your God, mm is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. The word of the Lord, and if you follow the way of Jesus, would you respond back to me? Thanks be to God. Father, we pray now that we would be moved by your word, transformed by your word, built up by your word, set free by your word, emboldened by your word, enveloped by your word, strengthened by your word, nurtured by your word, so that today we might never be the same after we have sat under your word. We ask these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And all of the people of God say it together, amen and amen. Uh, several years ago, uh, when Brianna and I were living in Sevierville, Tennessee, a place you probably never heard of unless you're from Tennessee, and in that case, Rocky Top, right? Y'all had a great night. Uh, unless you're from Tennessee or you've been to Dollywood for reasons unknown. Uh, when we used to live up there, uh, I used to go to Dollywood every day Every day, because we had a gold pass, and I would go every day, and I would get a corn dog. It was the best corn dog you'll ever have in your whole life, I promise you. It's about this big, and you got to be grown to finish it. And so I would stop every day and get a corn dog. It has nothing to do with what I'm about to talk about. And, and so while we were living there, we also saw a, a pit bull carrying a two-by-four in his mouth just walking down the street. These are the stories. I can tell you so many stories from Sevierville. I'm going to write a book called The Sevierville Years. But um, on the other side of that, uh, in a more serious vein, we, we met a young woman who who had had a difficult life, and she was getting ready to travel out of state to get a back surgery, one of many back surgeries that she would have, and she was afraid to fly, and I was buying her gas cards to be able to make this long drive, and we got into her story, and, and, and she had been drug addicted, addicted to meth, and, and, uh, and, and it just had a really, really hard life, and, and it turns out, as she shared with us, uh, that she had been trafficked from a young age, and then she began to traffic herself. And I remember being in that conversation and hearing her tell this story and watching her assign herself to the label that was associated with her behavior and believing, believing, these were her words, that I will never be more than what I've done. And I remember saying to her, almost pleading with her, don't believe that about yourself. 
that once you have come to the knowledge and faith of Jesus Christ, once you have been cloaked to the righteousness of Christ, you are made clean. You are made pure. Your life will never be the same. You don't have to live under that label. Now, I would love to tell you that she believed that that day. She did not. We had many, many conversations after that. And honestly, I don't know if she ever came to fully accept that she did not have to live under that label. Why? Because labels are powerful. In fact, there's a great leadership book called Extraordinary Leadership. If you're a leader of any kind, you should read that book. It's by a woman named Dr. Roberta Gilbert. And, and the book is fascinating to me because it's not a distillation of leadership principles. It is a book that actually sets leadership and organizations in the context of a psychological theory called Bowen's Family Systems Theory. And Bowen's Family Systems Theory says that as a child in your home, you find a role or you are put into a role and you continue to live in that role or read what? Label. You continue to live into that label for the rest of your life. Unless you become well acquainted with what role you have been placed in and the associated behavior that goes along with that role and the associated limitations that go along with that role and the desire to actually step out of that role, you continue to live into that role for the rest of your life. And so whether that is at your job or at school or at church, your natural proclivity will be to take on the role that you were assigned as a child. Here's an example. Uh, one of the eight roles that she lays out is the star. That was probably my role in my family. And the star is the one that is expected to achieve. That everything that they do, they, they touch is going to turn into gold. And so they walk under the pressure of having to win at all times. We win. That's what we do. And, and, and so that is your mentality. And the good thing about being the star is that that role is fed well in a Western culture where performance is identity. The bad thing about that is the gospel says that identity is identity and performance is not. <laughs> and when you're always performing, you're never off. And you actually don't know who you are. I'll raise my hand first. And so the danger of that role is that eventually you'll perform, you'll perform, you'll perform, you'll perform, you will kill it. But eventually, you'll burn out. You'll hit a wall. This is why you see CEOs suddenly walk away from jobs. Why pastors blow up their lives. Why Barry Sanders actually quit football. He was tired of performing. He hit a wall. He burned out. You see, that's the danger of a role, of a label is that when we cannot mine it for what it is and how it has locked us into identifying characteristics, then we become subject to the label, even if it's a lie. In fact, one way we can say that is we are limited by the label or labels that we lock ourselves into. So your capacity to lead, your capacity to love, your capacity to serve, your capacity to do, your capacity to be, your capacity to exist is right up against the wall of the lowest label that you believed about yourself. Now, what is the good news here, Pastor? You don't have to stay there. You don't have to live there. You don't have to be that. In fact, what we're going to see from the story of Rahab today, as I already said, is that you have every opportunity in the world to step out of the label and out of the lie 
and into the abundant life that Jesus has promised. Now, if you want to follow along with me, let me tell you where we are in the story. Moses has died. God took him home, buried him himself. What a great, you know, it's like if you're going to die, like who did the funeral? God. <laughs> or depending on where you're from, who did the funeral? God. What do you wear? Glory. I've been thinking about this for a while. Y'all going to get me the help I need one day. So Moses has died. And like all good leaders, and this has nothing to do really with the message, but I just want you to hear this if you're leading anything in any capacity. Like all good leaders, Moses has handed the baton to the next generation. Right? That's a part of healthy leadership, of good leadership, is not only do you plan to hand the baton, but you know that you're going to hand the baton, and then you actually hand the baton. In fact, a part of the problem in our country right now is we have a whole generation of people who will not hand the baton. It's 11.45. We keeps it greasy. So Moses is handed the baton. Joshua is now leading. And the things that Moses couldn't do because the people were acting up so bad and leading him to the promised land, Joshua has now taken the baton and he is leading them. In fact, if you go and read excuse me, <coughs> the end of Exodus and the start of Joshua, you remember that famous passage where Joshua stands before the people and he reconsecrates them to the words of Moses. And then he says, I don't know what y'all going to do, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And the people was like, yeah, Joshua, we going to do it. <laughs> now, of course, you know, three months later, they was like, we don't know you. We're not going to follow you. We scared, right? But to this point, they have systematically marched across the land, defeating every foe that they formerly feared. Ooh, that's a word for somebody. When you're walking under the banner of God, even the things you used to fear are suddenly under your feet. So they're marching across the land systematically, defeating all their foes. And they get to Jericho. And Jericho is the great fortified city in the Jordan Valley. Okay, Jericho is the last stop. It's the last stand. It's like the red keep, right? It's walled on all sides. There's guards. Don't do it. There's guards all around waiting to, to be able to engage. And, and, and this is the place that they have to overcome to step into the promise. Now, most of us are familiar with the story of Jericho if we grew up in church, right? What you familiar with? You marching around. And depending on how you grew up and who you grew up with, the way you imagine that marching around is very, very different. Okay, some of y'all, they marched like this. Some of us, they was like. <laughs> right, that's how I always imagined it. Right, always imagined it that way. And they did a little shimmy right at the end, right before the wall fell, right. <laughs> what we're less familiar with, what we're less familiar with is the heroin that actually made that possible. An unlikely heroin. In fact, I would imagine that many of you, before the last several weeks of this crazy series, where you found out that you were probably more righteous than most of the people in the Bible when you were selling drugs, right, would have called her an unlikely heroine. And that's where we're introduced to this incredible woman, Rahab. In fact, Joshua chapter 2 tells us that, like a wise general, instead of just showing up ready to fight, he sends out a couple of spies to go and survey the land and see what they got, what they're doing over there. Now, 
fascinatingly to me, if you read it already, and I hope you did, you have to be asking yourself, what are these two men of God doing as soon as they get to Jericho? And the first place that they go is to, did that go over everybody's head? Y'all be reading your Bible through holiness lenses instead of looking at the raggedociousness of these people. The first place that they go was to a house of prostitution. Now, we don't have to do magic tricks here. It's only one or two reasons that they went there. One reason, they went to procure the services therein offered. Or, and I want to try to believe this, even though everybody in the Bible has been raggedy so far, or, or they went understanding that they were in a bit of a strategic outpost because her home was in the wall of the city and therefore they would have easy entrance, easy exit, and a good view to survey the land. We're going to go ahead and believe that, right? We're going to choose, right? Because the Bible says choose to believe the best until otherwise proven. So we're going to believe that even though it say what it say. Okay, now, word gets out. Word gets out that Rahab the prostitute has received these two spies. And so the king of Jericho gets word that some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. Now, this was always fascinating to me. And I'm going to tell you why. I don't ever want to overreach into the Bible and try to put too much context and too much texture and, and try to do too much. But what I can do, I can look at the context of the history and I can look at the context of the stories that we've already seen together. What have we already seen? That when Abram and Sarai came through, Right? The king of Egypt's emissaries were like, oh, she bad. Right? And they took her in as a concubine into the king's house. And then a couple of years later, 25 to be exact, he went back in to the land of the Philistines, and the same thing happened. And they took her in to be a concubine. And so when you read passages like this, you've got to ask yourself logical questions. And the logical question you should be asking yourself is, how is a king aware of the goings-on of a local prostitute? Here's my thoughts. Take them for what they're worth. When I read the story of Sarah, when I read the story of Esther, who was also taken in as a concubine, when I look at the history and the context of how peoples behave in that day and the absolute authority of kings to take whatever they want, my, my, my position is that in some way, somehow, some form, some fashion, they had a previous relationship. In fact, it is quite reasonable to believe that she would have been a concubine in the king's house and therefore he had direct access to her. In fact, um, there's a great book by... Uh, uh, Francine Rivers, she writes about some of the great women in the Bible that had uh, a mixed bag of a story. And she writes about Rahab. And this is one of her lines in her book that I found so fascinating. She said, her fate had been set in motion years ago when she was little more than a child, a peasant's daughter summoned by a king. In that time, a king would summon a young woman. He would use her until he was done. And then he would put her back into society in an elevated but still subdominant position. And so there was a very good chance that Rahab was being leveraged by the king to entertain visiting leaders 
so that she could get information from them. And that this was some regular and cyclical form of communication. And so when these foreigners show up, then it is relayed back to the king that Rahab has someone visiting her house. Who are they? We don't know. Are they dignitaries? We don't know. Who could they be? It seems they might be spies for Israel. Now, what the text tells us is that when the emissaries came, Rahab hid the two guys. She hid them. And even though, and I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek on purpose, even though her label was just a simple prostitute, she was wise, intelligent, and smart enough to devise the perfect story to throw these officials off their scent. She said, yeah, they were here earlier. I didn't know where they were from. Now, we know from reading the story, she knew exactly where they were from, right? I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk. That was on purpose. Why? Because dusk would be a difficult time to see exactly where anybody went before they had streetlights. Stop imposing modern technology on ancient scenes. It's dark, dark. When the sun go down, If you don't have your little fire torch, you ain't seeing nothing. They left at dusk. I couldn't really tell which way they went right as the gates were about to close. What did she do there? She created intrigue. Well, are they in the city gates or are they outside of them? We don't know. If you hurry, now she's created urgency. Do you see how brilliant this is? If you hurry, you might catch up to them. Interestingly, we're on that morbidly tenuous ground again, aren't we? Lying's bad, Pastor. Well, Tamar lied to secure justice. Abraham lied because he was a punk. She lied to save two lives and God's mission. Now, are you saying we're supposed to lie? Nope. I can't really say. What I can say is that things are not always black and white and that sometimes God will use something that is morally tenuous for righteous reasons. She knew exactly who they were. That's why she treated them the way that she did. She devised this scheme perfectly so that the emissaries would go out in a panic, believing that if they didn't hurry, they were going to lose them before they got away. And this is why I love the parentheses. Actually, <laughs> she had taken them up to the roof <laughs> just in case we were too dumb to get it. Right? She perfectly did this so that this thing would continue to set in motion. Well, the king's men did exactly what they were supposed to do. They went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as they left, the gates were shut. Now everybody is safe. Why is that so powerful? 
Because just like Rahab, you are so much more than any label you've been assigned. This is just a prostitute, yeah, but she's brilliant. This is just a prostitute, yeah, but she's clever. This is just a prostitute, yes, but she reads people. This is just a prostitute, yeah, but she knew how to create urgency in order to save her life in the lives of these two men. She was more than the labels that she had been assigned. You are more than the labels that you have been assigned. Now, as the story goes, right before they fell asleep, she went upstairs. We already read this together. And she began to recount, listen, she began to recount the works of God that she had heard about. You think your testimony don't matter? Oh, somebody better talk better than that. Somebody needs to hear what you know of the works of God. You have no idea when they're going to pull that out of their back pocket in a moment of greatest need. She begins to recount the works of God. We heard how your God parted the Red Sea and let you walk across a dry path from the largest and most dangerous army on the, per on the planet. We heard what you did to Sihon and Og and the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan whose people you completely wiped out. We heard it all. It's been 40 years since the Red Sea. But we heard. And we remember. No wonder the king is trying to figure out what y'all trying to do. No wonder the king sending people down here trying to figure out who you are. No wonder the king is a little bit nervous that his walls aren't thick enough to stand up to the living God. No wonder. Our hearts melt in fear. Nobody want to fight you. We don't want this smoke. Why? Now, you would think, this is, this is, I love this so much. You would think, she would say, because your army is so strong and your leadership is so great and you guys have got it all together and I love the way you fight and the way you parry and the way you dodge and duck and, and, and we just heard about all your skills. No, she says, for the Lord your God is the supreme God in heaven above and on earth below. Hear it again. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and of the earth below. She didn't talk about their skills. She talked about the one who was with them. Men can be defeated. God is undefeated. For the Lord your God. She's just a prostitute. How could she make such a clear profession of faith? Because we're not limited to the labels that have been spoken over us. The things that she had done, the associated activities of her life had not limited her from understanding the depth and the riches and the nature of the gospel. Listen, her label and all of its associated activities did not limit her from eternal life. 
There is nothing that you have done. There is nothing that's been done to you. You could have walked up in here fresh off of something crazy if you call out to the name of the living God and say, I have submitted myself under your hand. Teach me and take me. Walk me and hold me. Speak your good news over me. Cloak me in your righteousness. Give me your grace and mercy. Fill me with living water. Establish me in abundant life. All you have to do is call on him and all of it is washed away. It doesn't matter. It's all gone. Because her trust is in the supreme God. Well, the men are obviously moved by this. And she sees her moment again. She's keen. She's intelligent. She's smart. And she says, so when the shooting starts, When y'all pop the trunk, <laughs> be kind to me and my family since I have straight lied for you <laughs> and risked my life playing with this fool in the castle. Give me some guarantee. That when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my people. Now watch this. They responded in kind, we offer you our own lives. If you don't betray us, we'll keep our promise and be kind to you. I love this confidence. When the Lord gives us the land. I know this is not a part of our message, but will you guys please remember that the Lord is the one who giveth and we just getteth. And if you would get that in your mind, you would be getting a lot more. Okay. Then, since Rahab's house was built in the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window, and she gave them instructions. Again, I'm going to keep saying it. Is this just a simple prostitute? Here's what you need to do. You need to go into the hill country. Why? Well, you go back and look at the geography of Jericho, because the hill country was in the opposite direction than where the mother fools would went. You need to go up in the hill country. You need to hide for three days until they're done doing their search. And then and only then do you go back and report the things that you have seen. You can go on your way. There they are. If I had a rope, I would climb down right now because I know we love illustrated sermons. There they are climbing down by, watch this, a scarlet thread. they hit the ground they look up and they say again we will be bound by the oath that we have taken only if you follow these instructions when we come into the land leave the scarlet rope that we just climbed down listen keep 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 what keep the visible display of your salvation where we can see it. And then you will live. And all your people will live. Now, I don't know why I love this so much. Probably because God's still sanctifying me. But they said, now they in the house, they good. 
But if we catch them in these streets, they own their own. It's literally what it says. Because once we in here, it's on site. So keep them in the house. Because we don't want nobody catching no strays. Right? And if anybody in the house lays a hand on them, we will accept responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. She replies, I accept your terms and sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet robe hanging out the window. What does this story teach us? Have I said it enough yet? Do you believe it yet? Listen, you got labels hanging over you right now that you feel like you are destined to live into. And God is saying, you are not the sum of those labels. You are not the sum of those labels. You are not the sum of those labels. That is not the end of your story. You are not the sum of those labels. You are not the sum of those labels. That is not the end of your story. In fact, this is not the end of her story either. You see, I know that most of us, we, we skip Leviticus because it's weird. Right? But some of my favorite stuff is in Leviticus because I just want to know why. Right? God's like, hey. Wave the fatty robe. I like it. (laughs) It just don't make sense to me. But that's what it's, it literally says that. Like when you get before me in the presence, wave the fatty robe. That's fine, lobe. Right. And then we skip numbers. Why? Because there's too many people. And you get tired of reading names that sound like allergy medicines. Right? And then we skip the genealogies. Why? Because how many begets can we beget? But when we do that, we miss things. Right? We miss things. One of my favorite books in the Bible is Ruth. I love it. It really should be called the, the, the Book of Boaz, but that's a different conversation. Um, and you get to the end of the Book of Ruth, and you read these words, right? Your girl has gone from being bitter, Marah, right, back to her real name, Naomi. And the Lord has dealt kindly and favorably upon her. You see what happens when you read the Bible to get in you, and then you can just be like, ooh, I can draw from that. And, it's, and, she, and she says, the Lord has shown me favor, and he's restored all my days. And they bring her the baby. And then it tells you the genealogy. It says, you remember? And so Boaz was the father of, anybody know? Obed. And Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. And David was the great king of Israel from whom came Jesus. But who was the father of Obed? Well, that's when you know that your story is not over until it's over. You see, the Bible says that Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. You mean we got prostitutes in the line of Jesus? Yes, a real one and a pretend one. 
You see, if you go back just a little bit, it tells you in Joshua chapter 6, you can go read it for yourself, that they go to the city and they do their march, right? Right. And the walls come down and, and everything falls. And, and I don't know what it happened. I don't know if it was in the rubble. I don't know. I don't know if they were doing a cleanup. I, I, you know, afterwards, and they're like, man, we got to see what's up in here. I, I don't know if, if there was an introduction like, hey, Salmon, uh, I want you to meet my girl Rahab, help her get situated. I don't know what it was. What we do know is that somewhere on the other side of this chaos, God made something beautiful. And this woman who had such a broken past, God gave a beautiful future and put her in the line of Jesus. And so then, again, this is not a part of the message, but just something free today. Then you say to yourself, well, this is why Boaz was so kind to the Moabitess because his mama was a foreigner. And she raised him right. Her story was not over. She was not limited to her label. In fact, not only was she in the line of Jesus, but Hebrews 11.31 says that it was by faith that she was not destroyed with those disobedient people. And James 2.25 and 26 says, was not even Rahab considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? Don't you understand that when God steps in and rewrites your story, whatever was is dead. Whatever is is dying. Whatever will be is flourishing and if you would trust him the only label over your life is the one he assigns you and so here we are I want you to think about this here we are in Atlanta in 2022 talking about a prostitute from an ancient town who would have never believed her name was going to live past the battle, let alone into our life. What's the word for you today? Only God can tell you who you are. Only God can tell you who you are. Listen, God calls you blessed. God calls you lovely. God calls you free. God calls you new. God calls you clean. God calls you called. God calls you useful. God calls you whole. God calls you anointed. God calls you loved. God has labels for you that will drown out every other lie you have ever believed. Will you step into it today? life that God has for us and shed the labels. Everybody stand up. If you want to do that today, if you want to take off a label, if you want to take it off, I'm inviting you to just shoot your hand up as we prepare to worship. I'll go first. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be good enough. You're not actually called. You've done too many things for God to actually work in and through you. Eventually, they're going to find out you're a fraud. 
your sin's going to catch up. You'll never be like him. <laughs> You'll never have his reach. You don't have your stuff together enough. I'm shedding, I'm taking it off today. What are you going to take off today, right now? What are you going to take off today? You can call it out out loud. You can call it out in your mind. But while we sing this song, you call it out and you put it where it goes, under the feet of Jesus. So that you can live in a label that God has spoken.